Welcome, everybody, to Sharpen That Axe, a podcast where Dylan doesn't forget the catchphrase at the start. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's a podcast dedicated to strengthening <laughs> your skills as a guitar player. I'm Dylan. With me always is my co-host, John. Uh, it's been a while, John, but we are back. Back in the saddle again. Back in the saddle, Aerosmith reference there. Great. Yeah, so um, somebody had to do it. Somebody yeah. had, had to do it. We haven't yeah. talked too much about Aerosmith, I think, ever. No, we haven't. Possibly we should do an Aerosmith. Uh, overrated, underrated, what's your general opinion on Aerosmith? Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's, in some ways, I, I, I kind of feel about them the way I feel about David Bowie. Like, some really great stuff and a whole lot of crap. Yeah, okay. So, well, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, and still going. Like, they played here, like, last year. Yeah, it's crazy. I've seen them a couple of times, and they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Brad Dourif. And then with Brad Whitford. Is that his name? Yeah. Brad, Brad Dourif is the actor who played Chucky. Brad Whitford. Uh, yeah, I think he's always a bit underrated in terms of uh, just being a really solid rhythm guitar player in terms of... Because everybody knows Joe Perry with his line of hot sauce and his 40 amps, a good guitarist for every tour. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd have we'll to... Talk about it another <laughs> that is there is nothing interesting about Aerosmith that hasn't been covered by other people um <laughs> so john we have a lick of the week from you because i took the the task of doing one of the uh, main segments of our show like you did last time so uh you picked the lick of the week this week so I any did. uh info you want to give me before we uh rock this mother no let's let's just jump into it because i think there's a fair bit to talk about after the fact and okay. it's a little bit weird i'm just gonna say that it comes off a little bit strange so and cool. we'll go from there I'm both excited and frightened. Let's go. Okay. Uh, kind of lost for words there <laughs> okay so that's interesting because it, it's just it sounds like it, it's first of all it sounds kind of like a live it's a live performance so yeah, yeah it it's is kind actually. of a jam feel and um, i'm hearing only one guitar i didn't hear any bass so that's interesting it's kind of just sounded like guitar and drums um foo i'm doing my snare test what what decade does the snare sound like it's from and i can't really put my finger on it Boo. Um, yeah could you tell me what decade this is from um it's it's splits two decades so 70s 80s okay i was gonna say zappa but i i just it is it's it's it is. is it yes oh, get in yes um, <laughs> yeah because it has that beautiful like it could be someone who's playing guitar for 50 years and it could be someone who's playing guitar for two months you know it's kind of got that like weird manic atonal but also kind of class sort of thing um yeah what is this and why did you pick it okay so this is from his compilation um called return or shut up and play your guitar so this is off the third lp return of the sun of shut up and play your guitar this track is called why johnny can't read now what's interesting about this is it's actually a lot of these tracks are guitar solos taken from like this one live performances from a tour and a concept album that he was trying to put together called warts and all which was supposed to be a live album 
but then he kind of got overwhelmed with the project and basically cut and pasted a whole bunch of stuff and this was yeah very very early kind of editing type stuff zappa is really influenced by um people like stockhausen and xenoxis who were academic composers in the late 50s who had a whole bunch of these like tape performances where they would take a take a tape they would record something on that tape and then they'd cut it up and tape it back together and put it backwards and put it in different parts so it was this kind of chop and change thing that's so easy to do now because we you can just open any daw and just sort of cut up a song and make it go backwards and do all sorts of things back in the day it was a lot yeah. more uh, rigorous so anyway, this is a, part of the reason I picked Zappa is because we really haven't talked about him much. And I think he's kind of an interesting character because he's super influential and he's actually a pretty good guitar player, but some of his stuff can be really hard to listen to. Inaccessible. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, I know, I know, I don't want to call them hits, but I know some of the better, sorry, the more better known songs, Yeah, uh, you know, Bobby Brown, Muffin Man, um, you know, st- stuff like that. And yeah. I, I, I've, yeah, Peaches Regalia. Is that, is that an album? No, uh, that's a, that is, that is one of his songs. Yeah. Yeah. The Pe- and is, it's off, is it Hot Rats? Uh, I think so. I think it is. Yeah. There, yeah, there's one of those albums that I would recommend. I think if it is Hot Rats, whatever album that's on, and that is a good jumping off point. In fact, it's probably as far as I've gone. It is more accessible, I think, you know, than some of his other stuff, but that's the one I kind of keep on coming back to. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's weird. As a guitar hero, he's not really known, but then again, his son goes around playing his songs, and yeah. they look super technical when he does them live. Yeah, it, it, there is definitely it, certain technical elements, and he really is, I think, a compositional genius, but there yeah. are elements that it's just, I find a lot of his, it, there's a lot of his songs that have that sort of adolescent humor to him, which yes. is fine when you're like 14, but... <laughs> After a yeah. while, it's hard to just go back and listen to it and be like, what am I listening to? It's kind of like, I, I see it as kind of an interesting thing. It kind of like maybe like early Primus in terms of a, like an earlier version of Primus in terms of the, the weird time signatures and the mad lyrics and the yeah. kind of, the, the, it's really eccentric music. Yeah, it is like borderline crazy for being, for crazy's sake. You have albums like Chic Your Booty that are largely you know satirical of the titles are always great as well joe's garage is an in i mean you could probably do some sort of wonderful master's research paper on joe's garage and its socioeconomic implications of the character of joe and those sorts of nonsensical things but um and so zappa is definitely a, a thinker and a great composer but i really find a lot of his stuff is kind of inaccessible yeah um I, i've it's very it's quite druggy you know it's, it's quite you know a yeah. druggy psychedelic you know acid music despite the fact that he never did drugs yeah which is crazy but it was that kind of era like hot rats is 69 yeah and that you know coming out of the 60s early 70s a lot of psychedelic stuff going on and him kind of reacting to that 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, he's very influenced by kind of the free jazz movement. And you really hear that in this solo. As the most well. accessible of all genres. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It may be so, free, but I'm not going to pay for it. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would recommend, from, from my experience, uh, I would recommend checking out um, that Hot Rats album from 69. Mm. It's, it's a good one. Yeah, and there's. Uh, I think songs as well. There's a lot of I find his instrumental stuff a little bit easier to get into. Yeah, he's than, got one of those voices, you know. That, yeah, he he almost takes this comedic tone when he's quote singing. It's a sort of almost like you're listening to a stand-up comedian tell a story like that. Yeah, the, the, the timing and the punchlines and the yeah, exactly. Yeah, so interesting. Very interesting guy, and I just, uh, we hadn't really talked about him before, and I, I think in some ways he's more important for his influence than he is necessarily for his actual guitar playing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I definitely know, I would know Frank Zappa more so from like t-shirts and posters and, you know, quotations, like he has all these really profound their time kind of like quotations about life and society that you see kind of everywhere but then when it comes to the music everybody kind of draws a bit of a you know there's a bit of a blank right and i i think what's in he influenced a lot of musicians that came after him so you have people like steve Vai, uh vinnie caliuta that played in his bands that look at him and say yeah this guy is super important um you have jazz guys like jean-luc ponty who also worked with him influenced by him there's those sorts of things i think that lead into the next generation of musicians that were definitely important but it's kind of hard like you said to say oh yeah listen to these five zappa songs to get a sense of what he's about yeah 100 percent. yeah um cool i i love touching on those kind of guitarists that are well known but not at the same time um, yeah. always cool speaking of um so john we we decided to come up with a topic for you know a segment a recurring segment we'll probably never do it again after this no we will um <laughs> called uh you hate it but uh, <laughs> where uh one of us will take a band that the other co our co-hosts don't necessarily enjoy and we're going to teach you why they're better than you think they are um, so okay. last week, last last time we did Motley Crue. Now Motley Crue, a bit of a you know a hot topic right now because of the Dirt movie that came out. Yep. Um, yeah, which has led to a lot of you know stuff coming out about uh, maybe they were awful people. And I think <laughs> maybe who knew? Yeah, Mick Mar But the thing is, it's funny. You go to like every live concert video, and because I've gone to, through a few just to see like how they kind of evolve through the ages after our, our conversation, and there's two recurring themes in every Motley Crue. I'll get to my topic in a minute. And uh, two recurring <laughs> themes for every Motley Crue live video. And one is that Vince Neil is an absolute twat, and the other <laughs> is that every everybody yes. loves Mick Mars. Everybody in the comment section thinks, yeah, Mick Mars is really solid on this. He's pushing sixty and he's still wailing and i think that's really cool you know he's getting his props finally in the era of youtube anyway so john if i was to mention for our you hated but uh topic so if i uh, throw out the band yeah yeah yes to you uh what do you know what springs to mind oh um not a whole lot it's just part of that kind of early 2000s um 
Brits rock pop kind of yeah I, I okay I, yeah yeah um, I saw that coming quasi you know sort of Americans trying to imitate emo indie stuff Ooh. coming out of Britain. like that's that's sort of my initial like yeah yeah okay so that's funny so there's a lot of things to kind of dissect there yes the whole early 2000s lo-fi kind yeah. of alt rock thing that came out the the bands you know yeah the exactly folks yeah that the, the hives and all that stuff yeah especially really the hives I'm, i just i sort of lump most of them all together <laughs> looking really cool and you know telecasters galore and yeah i i hear you and um, not a lot of guitar stuff. so the yeah yeah i think are super interesting because they came out at a time when that was kind of what was going on there was a really cool thing going on in new york at the time there was you know the strokes dropped their first album in 2001 and that was you know groundbreaking especially over here the strokes and the kings of leon and those bands were absolutely massive over here the killers another band like really really big the aas kind of flew under the radar over here a little bit compared to those bands but i remember seeing them on mtv2 or kerrang back in the day and just being like because i was playing drums at the time i was like what is that drummer doing so i got the first album and then so <sighs> Basically, why I picked Nick Zinner as an underrated guitarist is because there are a few reasons. Um, there's no bass player in the band. It is a three-piece, uh, vocals, drums, and guitar. So there's a lot of room there. Um, there's a few keyboards that Nick does in the background. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But mm. what I like is how what he does with just a guitar and drums. Because when you think of that, you think Jack White. But this is very different to what Jack White does, in my opinion, because of you the know, layers I mean, that he creates. To me, it, it kind of had... It, in some ways, I, I sort of think of them as kind of a, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, like you said, the lo-fi, a little bit of that throwback vibe. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like that. The synthesizers, the guitar is really choppy, almost kind of like some of the stuff that The Edge was doing off the, off Oxen, baby. Interesting you should say that. Okay, okay, cool. Because The Edge said that when The Edge was interviewed on the uh, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb tour, he said that if there was one guitar player, uh, if he could do basically whatever one guitar player out there was doing, he was like, I would love to do what Nick Sinner does because he does so much with so little, um, which is high praise. So I'm going to play... Um, the yeah. Edge kind of the opposite. He does so little with so much. So Yeah. I, that, <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> It's been a while since we've insulted the Edge, so it's good to see um, our recurring segment, Edge Bashing, come back. Um, so if you want to play, I have some clips loaded up here. So this uh, first clip uh, is called Man. It's off their first album, and it's just a guitar and drums, and it is quite abrasive, but it is very riff-based as well. So I'd like you to give a listen to that. Let's do it. Yeah, super fuzzy, super yeah. fuzzy, and yeah. that's that's one of the things that I think that era and those bands that you mentioned earlier really did is brought mm. back that fuzz pedal. 
Yeah, the whole kind of lo-fi thing, it's kind of ripping off the Velvet Underground a little bit from the, the 70s, a lot of 70s influence that's kind of bringing back. Um, but what I kind of like about the AAS compared to those other bands of that era is that Strokes had two guitar players, the Hives had two guitar players, um, you know, it was usually like a five piece and here we only have one guitar player and no bass player. So that's kind of what I really like. He uses loops and uses other effects to basically build these sort of soundscapes while also creating some really big riffs. Um, so it's a bit fuzzy, a bit scattered on that first album. But if you, we go to our second clip now, this is off their second album where um, it's got one of my favorite riffs to ever just kind of come in um, halfway through your song, kind of comes out of nowhere and it is a doozy. So this is Cheated Hearts off uh, their second album, Show Your Bones, which I believe came out in 2004. Here we go. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what I like about that song, um, Show Your Bones is my favorite. Yeah, yeah, album. I think um, Maps is some of my favorite songs, but as a record, I think that Show Your Bones is probably my favorite because it is very, um, the guitars on it are a lot more constructed. Um, there's a little bit more synth to kind of fill it out a little bit, but the guitars, the guitar parts are very well written as opposed to kind of the punk feel um, of, the, of the first one. Um, so what I really like about it is about the um, Nick Sinner as a guitar player is that he basically takes, he can take a chord and he take, can take the, the notes within a chord and he will basically play them at different intervals, at different, um, using different pedals, using different effects to basically create a much bigger sound while also trying to create something, as we've talked about before. Um, for me, memorability in terms of hummability in a riff is key. Um, so basically, he'll take a four-chord structure and then pick out the best notes to make it as kind of memorable as possible, while also using some dynamite effects. Um, he is a big effects guy. Uh, got, he's basically got four boards that he takes with him. Yeah, they're all, you know, whammies he's got. He loves the DL6, the... the um, Digitech, is it the Digitech DL6? Uh, sorry, Line 6. Line 6, six DL4. Yeah. DL4, that um, delay pedal. Um, he, got, he loves his delay pedals. It's a, it's a big thing. He's got the, you know, even some TC, TC flashbacks, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, he's got, he's got his rat, you know, because every band back in that era had to yeah. have a rat pedal. Um, cool. So what I'm going to show you now is basically how he creates, uses these effects to bring out the chord tones within one of these songs um, in Goal Line, which is track number three. And if you want to give it a, a listen, then we'll have a, have a listen. All right. So, yeah, each one of these two, the thing that strikes me is all these have a little bit of a different sound to it, you know, yeah. each, each guitar part doesn't, mm. doesn't quite do the same thing, doesn't quite sound the same. So there's a yeah. lot, of, lot more diversity than I think I was expecting. 
because you know cool. like the strokes for example just uh, yeah they sound this that they sound the same first track to last track on any album and I just, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a, it's, there's a lot of like chugging riffs and yeah. yeah and here it's a lot more i think more orchestrated nick center mm. is like your typical art rock your guitar looking guy he he looks like a t tim burton character and um, he's <laughs> just like with his massive pedal boards and when i saw them last year i was just like in awe but it, just in terms of he uses he uses basically two guitars he uses a japanese strat that he basically got when he was a teenager and basically has modded to all hell and then he's got a gretch and then he's got a and i think it's a jazz master that johnny Mari gave him that he plays sometimes on tour but it's it's wow. it's it's fairly fairly bare bones he uses and he uses uh two a fender blues junior and a fender deluxe on tour that's those are the only amps he brings with him um so it's those two albums i was like this guy is great this is the kind of if i was in a three-piece band that's the kind of guitar parts i'd want to play because you know he's using the loops but it's also it's it's not detrimental to the song it, it you know everything can be essentially broken down to if you were to play it on an acoustic guitar not what he was playing but in terms of the chord progressions it would sound really nice until it gets kind of to the fourth album where it goes peak dis sorry third album fourth track here where it goes uh, peak disco uh, they basically embraced since to kind of distance themselves from that whole um, guitar band thing and apparently the producer at the time was basically like why are you playing all these synths you're one of the best guitarists out there right now um but basically what nick center does with a synth um it's rarely just a synth by itself he will always take a guitar throw a load of effects on it and throw it beneath the synth to kind of beef it up a little bit with some fuzz and mm. um, so that's basically uh, the next song is it's the bridge section from their song zero and um, where you can it it is synth driven but there is guitar underneath and i it's the kind of thing that I think was written on a guitar. It kind of sounds like it. So if you want to listen to that there. Here we go. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that's a guitar part that he just doubled with the synth. Yeah, which I which I like. I mean, I I wouldn't be like a synth head at all. I have a few friends that are, and you know, go down the synth rabbit hole yeah. in terms of this, the textures, man. But I think what I hear is a really cool melodic guitar part that's kind of accentuated with the synth. But it is kind of a, he is a guitar player first and foremost. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's one of the things I kind of like. It's all very, you know, there is a, a an emphasis on melody and um, tone is very important to him same time and you know he uses the effects and say like maybe you know he'd have like a sort of a radio head style up to effects where he doesn't really want it to sound like a guitar all the time yeah. um, but it's it's always kind of going for the song which you know it's it's basically that idea of restricted creativity that we've given in that it's it he just has a drummer to work with and very little else apart from himself so it's very much like orchestrating these big parts and um, he so uh yeah a question for you though too i mean sure. this is this is like 2009 right yeah so it sounds remarkably modern like contemporary right now mm -hmm. like this yeah. is 
with the synth stuff that's coming out now and the synth pop that's just making a huge comeback, like this is really ahead of its time, yeah? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, in terms of the, it's it's it, it's coming in cycles. I mean, the disco pop, the thing the thing that's going on right now with Lizzo and all these people kind of topping the charts, like that's that's a big thing. But also, you know, you, it, it's it's disco. What I think is they're doing is basically they're taking catchy kind of disco melodies from like the late seventies and kind of just making them making them a bit more less less radio friendly i think but the, yeah I, I would totally agree with that in terms of it is it, i'd say that there are a lot of people that listen to them kind of growing up and that it's kind of paying off now a little bit in terms oh, of the music that's being yeah. produced and um, it's really interesting that now just to to focus on you know what people right now what they may have been influenced by because you know this is about 10 years ago now so yeah. people who are you know in their formative years and um, maybe may have been listening to this and like the AAs are known for Karen O, who was hugely influential in terms of like her fashion and her singing style and her, mm. you know, her stage presence. And it is like I've seen them live and it is impossible to take your eyes off her um, unless you're me and you're looking at the pedal boards. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it's um, yeah, that's really interesting in terms of influence. I, I've I've kind of I've considered it before, but I haven't really thought that much, um, probably because I I you know don't like listening to modern pop music. But um, but yeah, it's it's a big thing. And the last clip I'm going to end on is basically this is the song that really got me into the AAS because it starts off. Now I'm not going to play the whole song. I'm just going to play you the chorus and the riff that really made me kind of drop my jaw and um, this this is maps but it starts off on a looping pedal and then he basically loops a lot of things on top of it which you can hear here basically what he'll do is he'll take it's like just a g and a c chord but he'll pick the right notes and play them with the right kind of delay setting to really kind of create this uh soundscape in what is essentially a three minute pop song so um yeah if you want to all right have a blast there So there is there is riffs. There is kind of soundscapes at the same time. There is really nice effects. It works really well with the drummer. It works really well what the drummer is doing. Um, these they're they're very clearly tied in in terms of rhythm and what each other is doing. And it's just you know it's I I find it really enjoyable music to listen to. I don't know what it is about it, um, and the fact that it's it's only a few people creating it. That's that kind of you know we've talked about three pieces before and how you know there is this space that is created by mm -hmm. a three piece whether it's you know and this is the, this is only two musicians playing um so yeah that's kind of what i really like i i think they kind of get pigeonholed in terms of that uh early 2000s sound yeah um yeah. that now sounds pretty freaking dated to me but to me that the yeah have really kind of 
stood stood the test in time, essentially, and um, stood the test of time. I said that wrong. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Thoughts, impressions. Have I swayed you a little bit? Yeah, I, I think probably you have. And generally speaking, that's probably the way most the segment is going to go most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least you know it's at least sparked my interest to to give them a more thorough listen. Um, I think I remember maps when it came out Mm. and I was kind of, I just kind of remember being like, yeah, I, it just like, it it didn't really impress me at the time. And I think it was just kind of lost in that sea of the other, the skinny jeans. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, (laughs) it it just, it, it, it didn't strike me as anything special. And even now, like it still has that kind of, early 2000s feel to it but yeah like i said zero i think it has some great work on it and some of the other things that we listen to today really demonstrate a good like you said orchestration uh knowledge and just being able to to create space and or fill that space and how do you do that with just in a three piece with no bass player yeah so i i i I totally agree um in terms of the yeah, the the space the way the way that the space is filled, and not just with fuzz or distortion, but in a very kind of well thought out way that's also kind of got a focus on catchy melodies. Um, that's what I dig. Cool. Oh, whew. Uh, <laughs> that's a, whew, there. You go. Okay. Water it through it. Yeah. Exactly. It's a. Uh, that cool. one definitely feels like a, a lecture every time we do that. So yeah, but I, I like that. I mean, we, we we're both um, uh, somewhat close to musicologists in terms of the degree <laughs> that we did. We uh, have yeah. a degree that says we are. So uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, never going back to academia, man. And um, friends, oh, let man. us know: Are you a fan of the AAS? I did a poll on Instagram today, wondering if people actually listen to them. And what am I currently at? I am currently at fourteen votes for yeah, 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 and two votes for no, no, no. So I'm happy with that. Okay. Um, perfect. So, John, you recently got uh, booked by a band. Let's talk about that a little bit. Right. Well, uh, I actually had a friend approach me and say, "Hey, I'm looking to." to put together a 90s cover band. And um, I was like, well, this sounds interesting. Could be a lot of fun. Playing stuff like Collective Soul, Stone Temple Pilots, you know, oh, yeah. all, the, all the fun, grungy things, and then possibly some uh, revamped pop tunes from the era. Uh, that might just be, it, it might be entertaining. But it kind of got me thinking, you know, I've subbed or depped. If, if I've got the, the Irish lingo correct <laughs> um, for, for a couple of cover bands in the past. And one of the, the difficulties, I think, in any cover band is learning the material. Yeah. Because ultimately, you need to have at least an hour and a half worth of material two 45 minute set lists you know yeah i um, i would agree okay so that's that's great so that's what we're going to talk about today basically learning songs for cover bands how do we approach it what have we done in the past any uh any interesting tips and tricks um so yeah have you played in cover bands much before um like i said only kind of as a substitute i hadn't ever been a regular um in a a long-standing cover band sort of thing yeah. So, and, and this is this is part of the reason I wanted to talk about it. We talked about learning songs, but more from kind of a 
a, a different approach, a, a more difficult approach. Songs that chances are no one's ever going to ask you to play live. You know, we, we talked a little bit about Brad Paisley or I was working on a Steve Vai tune, these sorts of things nobody ever mm-hmm. wants to hear live, typically. Uh, <laughs> so, so what the drunks want on a Friday night, John. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because you've done it on several occasions, stepped in and, and joined a cover band and learned 40 or 50 songs. So what is kind of your approach to that? How do you, how do you break that down? Cause you're talking about two, maybe three set lists of material that you got to work your way through. And do you just, do you just line them up from start to finish and just try to check them off one by one? Or do you just kind of go, Oh, well, I sort of know that one, or I know the riff for that one. Let's knock it out. Like, how do you approach? It's a massive amount of material to learn. And it is. Typically a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Now, it's, it's funny you should ask because there's a few things I think about when now, I haven't sat down with a band in a while. Sometimes like if it's, if it's a pub and it's just a few musicians in the corner playing, like, which, playing some pop songs, which I've done before, a lot of it was just kind of showing up. And if there was another guitar play, player just kind of backing what he or she was doing so with with pop songs like with a full pop set with a band that you're playing like legit on stage uh, I find with me familiarity with the material is a big thing in terms of like if there's songs I don't know making um, make, you know there's always going to be songs that you know pretty much from start to finish you can sing them anyway in terms of like you know how the, the melody goes but sometimes songs will come up so I will always make a Spotify playlist of all the mm. songs I don't know get some kind of familiarity be able to kind of hum it in my head and know essentially like the thing is pop songs are repetitive it's you, you learn usually three parts four parts maybe mm. um, like verse chorus bridge maybe an intro maybe an outro but those are usually the bones of it. And um, in terms of progression, I mean, you want to make sure you want to know which key you're doing it in. If you're using open chords and um, you want to, you know, there's various things you want to kind of check off. And um, one thing with me that's interesting, um, I mean, in terms of actually learning the material, a lot of it is just kind of sitting down and being able to play through. And the thing is like with pop songs, it's great because you don't have to play through the whole song. You can usually play through the first minute and 30 seconds, like along with it. And you have 80% to 100% of the song because it's always repeated. That's, yeah. that's you know, which is, which makes things easier. And in terms of like that kind of cover songs, see, the thing is when it comes, there's a couple of things I talk about. One is tone. Creating a good tone that sounds live, that was always a big kind of priority for me. Very rarely did I actually get it to a point where I was actually really happy, but a lot of the time it was just passable. And in terms of that, you kind of, you know, you, you want a, a tone that you're happy with. Then again, if you're playing something like 90s pop, which can be everything from Stone Temple Pilots to Spice Girls, you want to be able to like have a tone good to go so that you're not hitting pedals every few, few songs. You want to know exactly mm-hmm. what you want it to sound like. And um, another thing is solos as well. Like if there's a solo break and it's a really memorable solo, like say if you're in a pop band, like Smooth by Santana, yeah. like you need to know that. Like you, you need to know that solo. Um, if it's if you're doing a regular pop song, they're like, oh, we'll throw in a solo with at you know in the middle or at the end for a laugh. You know, go major pentatonic hog wild. But uh, it's 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 really up to you. I mean, have you started learning songs for this band yet? Uh, not yet. So I'm I'm connecting up with the lead singer for to to get the set list. Cool. Here uh, tomorrow. So yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
I, I cover bands are cool. I like cover bands because you know it is you know in Ireland. I remember being told before that there is you can make money two ways in music, playing music in Ireland, and that is weddings and country, and <laughs> because country music is really big here, and also like wedding bands do get paid an awful lot, and the good thing about pop music as opposed to say a, a genre like jazz or metal is that you know you know the songs like you 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 subconsciously know the songs because you know we've all been to a wedding you know yeah. we all grew up we all grew up listening to radio and having these songs kind of ingrained and there are you know you do see bands that will play newer songs because you know there is a demand to throw in a new one every now and again the latest terrible coldplay song you know, it's the, <laughs> yeah. the demand is there. But in terms of actually learning the songs, we talked about this last time in terms of like sitting down and learning a piece. It mm-hmm. depends on the piece. It depends on who you're playing with. It depends on like, is it acoustic or electric? You know, if it's, uh, if it's just you and a singer and you're, you know, uh, still doing a 19 minute pop set, you're going to have to do a lot more if there's no keyboard. You're going to have to do a lot more if there's no bass. You know, you're going to have to learn those parts. So I think it is kind of a breaking down of what resources there are there because I love playing with a keyboard, man. I feel so much better if there's another key player kind yeah. of backing me up, much less exposed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, would I go back to the cover band things? The cover band life itself, like I know people that play in cover bands full time, like that is their job yeah. and it is demanding. You know, it is very much your, your passion turns into your profession and you are missing weekends. You are missing the, the time when everybody else is being social. Like it's, it's you know, it's, it's yeah. a commitment. But if it's one or two gigs a month or like one gig a week, that's fun, man. I, I, I would love to get that back in my life. I do miss that because also it's a reason to practice. It's a reason to actually sit down with a guitar. You can justify it. It's something that, you know, you're not going to procrastinate on because, you know, if you need to learn songs, you're going to sit down and learn them. If there's money involved, you know, you want to do yeah, a good job. Absolutely. You want to get the gig again, you know? So, um, cause I've gone to a good, you know, not a good few, but a few cover band auditions where I showed up not knowing my stuff. And, you know, I lost money as a result because I sat down, tried to learn the songs, didn't learn them to the best of my ability and lost mm-hmm. the gig, you know? So it happens, but yeah, yeah I am. Um, but yeah, I think it's cool. Plus the nineties, like it's fun songs. Like it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's not like, it's like, I know friends that are in a cover band for like one band and I'm like, that sounds, that would get so stale. I think for me. Yeah. You know? That would, I, I don't think I could do that. Uh, but I mean, I've, I've known a couple of people that essentially make a living doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and we've had Gretchen Men on the show and she's a part of that all female Led Zeppelin cover band. Yeah. They tour up and down California and then they go new, do New York and they do really well. They draw huge crowds. So it's a thing. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, it's a bit of a gimmick as well in terms of like, you know, it's great to see that in terms of like people will want to see girls rock out these songs. Like, it's 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 a cool thing. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm like my friend Stephen Sharp is in a is in a Led Zeppelin tribute band, and they're doing because it's the 40th anniversary or 50th anniversary. They're doing Led Zeppelin one and two back to back. Whoa! They're doing Man. a tour of that and then playing like some more hits at the end. But whew, you know, I just get sick of playing that much Zeppelin. Right. <laughs> Plus, a Led Zeppelin would be uh, sorry. Uh, a Les Paul would be bad for my back. 
<laughs> I think bad for nearly everybody's back. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. But yes, cover bands. Are you in one? Um, do you use a multi-effects unit or do you use a bunch of pedals? Because that's what I want to know. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's what we'd love to hear from people that actually do play in cover bands or play in, in tribute bands. Um, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing and it is, you know, a cool yeah, way to make money. Like it would be a good, good opportunity to, excuse the purchase of an axe effects or a kemper <laughs> <laughs> yeah 100 yeah. percent. i mean i know i know people that you know i was speaking to i bumped into my old music teacher who stopped being a teacher to play in a cover band the whole time because you know he was making just as much money from that and he was like oh ditch the pedals man just just get a kemper and yeah. i was like oh um, but that's the thing you know in terms of another thing just one last thing i'll slide in is um if you need to pay attention to your technique if you're in a cover band if you're playing other people's parts if you're playing original music you can get a, get away with whatever because that's your sound quotation mm -hmm. fingers but if you need to sound like somebody else you need to practice that that's a really good point um and maybe we should kind of dig into that in another episode because everybody you can't use the same vibrato for eric clapton bb king and, and Kirk uh, you know uh, Kirk Hammett. <laughs> had to, had to. We, we've got everybody. <laughs> we uh, we bashed Gibson. We got Kirk Hammett and the Edge. Like yeah. show's done. We should just That's move it, on. Man, the point. trifecta. <laughs> oh oh boy. boy. Okay. So John, what have you been working on? What have I been working on? I have been picking up the classical again. So oh. <clears throat> doing that. I had a performance recently. There's a fancy new art performance center over at the university here. And I had the opportunity to play some original nerdy composition stuff and uh, had to work up my classical guitar chops. But I've really been enjoying it. So I've been, I, I was like, hey, there's a few uh, pieces that I kind of wanted to tick off and say, yep, I, I can do that. So I've been kind of digging that out again. And it's, you know, it's demanding. It's demanding on the right hand, the, the attention to detail and tone and tone production is is a lot more in both hands both your left hand and in your right hand than i think most people think about when you're, when you're playing guitar yeah exactly and so and and obviously your your plectrum or your pick has to um it is part of your tone creation but i think people don't really think about it too much and in your when you're doing finger style stuff particularly on nylon strings you're your right hand needs to be in the right position to create the right tone. Otherwise it's too thin or you get too much of the, the skin and you end up, again, it sounds kind of brittle, which is kind of odd. You wouldn't think that would necessarily be the case. You'd think, but if you get all fingernail, it also sounds really weird. And then obviously your position, if you're too close to the bridge or do you want to be higher up towards the neck and all those little things. So little things and everything comes out you can't hide when you're playing classical classical guitar, classical guitar terrifies me yeah. absolutely <laughs> i i just i can't and uh, it's it's i can't even begin like just in terms of i tried before yeah and just in terms of like i love having you know i i even don't mind i i love my better hybrid picking fine yeah. with that but when you bring the thumb when you've got ah, it's just it's yeah. too much, much it's a I, I love it it's a it's an it's a very intimate instrument and it it's very responsive, it, particularly if you have a good guitar. And it's just, it's this thing, you sit there and you hug it. 
and <laughs> yeah. sometimes with your knee up like a gentleman yes and you can sort of you get the you get the full vibration of the instrument there and it's it's great I, I really enjoy it so but what about you what have you been working on well, John, I I see your um, classical guitar proficiency, and I match you one Toto solo. Um, oh. I yes, I yesterday I was like I was frustrated. I was like I haven't sat down with guitar all week, and I want to do well. It was on Tuesday, but like last weekend as well. Um, and I was like I want to learn a little bit of music that I can just learn. And it was kind of the whole needy brushing. I was like I'd love to post something to social media just to you know just as an instigator to work on something. Yeah. And um, I learned the little Rosanna solo, the beautiful. Mm little that's uh, fantastic holy cow yeah, so I, yeah i put it on instagram yesterday and uh it was really really nice just a, a really nice chris zupa of course showing me the way yes and yeah and also like he's got some fucking great tabs in terms of like you know what he offers and um, so yeah that was a really nice thing just to kind of learn a little piece of music that i'd always wanted to learn um, and take a break because right now I am transcribing the songs of a singer songwriter that I am playing with in a few um, yeah, playing with in a few weeks named Emma Lohan and all of her stuff is it's basically I don't know how we're going to do it because it's essentially she plays with four or five musicians and she's oh yeah just playing, just playing with me so I'm like what are we gonna do um, so yeah that'll be uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting um, so yeah and apart from that I'm going to the studio next week so I am oh, man. just yeah, so i all kinds getting, of things to be doing. I do, and a job. I'm changing jobs, so yeah, that'll be interesting. I do have a week off between finishing one job and starting another, so that'll be nice to kind of fix some, fit some music in and also arrange my new... Um, one thing I am working on as well is putting together a good acoustic uh, board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd mentioned that. Yeah, so that, that's basically me. And have you been listening to anything that you'd like to... Uh, um, yeah, there's there's a few different things, but um, it's uh, I, I went to a couple of gigs, so there was a little bit of uh, gig preparation album listening. One of the bands that uh, opened for I went and saw Intervals, which is oh, yes. Marshall's band, and one of the bands that opened for them was called Strawberry Girls, and they're this California instrumental rock band. And they're a three-piece, so hooray, three-piece, tied it in, yeah, bringing bringing everything together, and they were they were absolutely fantastic. Put on a great show, uh, good like melodic hook stuff. So, but great players and very entertaining, and I I definitely would kind of kind of along the same lines. Like if you took Vasudeva and you just revved it up a bit like that would probably okay. put it so good a bit songwriting of a good good hooks and cool. just entertaining to watch entertaining to listen to so strawberry oh, girls check them out i am intrigued and i'm gonna put that into my spotify right now we should see if we could get them on the show yeah yeah that'd be strawberry a thing. fields no um john these are neither girls nor strawberries um <laughs> I know it's disappointing. You were hoping for giant strawberries playing instruments. That's it. It's, it's beautiful, like feminine eyelashes. Um, <laughs> sweet. Cool. Cool, the man. Drummer, the and drummer has a solo album. 
Um, sorry. Uh, oh, they've got over a million plays on Spotify. I'm interested. Um, sweet. I uh, and myself, I am going to see a Dublin band tomorrow uh, called The Scratch, um, who are four lads with a fantastic sense of humor, who are uh, playing a free gig in my local down the road tomorrow. It is two very good kind of Celtic guitar players, um, a, bass, a bass player and a drummer, and they play very humorous songs about um by Celtic you mean like trad yes yeah kind of yeah it's kind of got that whole tony rice sort of like open tuning really nice stuff uh kind of sound but also kind of revved up uh they are there it's kind of someone's described it as it's quite original in that it's sort of like metal trad in terms of the (laughs) but no they're class They, they write songs about how you know their freeloader friends will ask them for a favor and then they will text them back. They won't get a response and stuff like that. So I, I, I know I, I dig that. I've also just purchased a ticket to go see uh, open Mike Eagle in uh, Oh, Dublin. sweet. Yes. That's uh, awesome. Who is one of my top five dead or alive. So I am looking forward very much to, um, to seeing him. Uh, yeah. In a tiny venue in Dublin in May because hip hop in Ireland isn't really a thing. Well, it is, but you know, not that kind of hip hop. And um, yeah. so yeah, those those are those are the two things that have basically been on rotation for me. Also, I finally have another guitar student, so I am uh, learning both Cemetery Gates by Pantera yeah. and also learning uh, Slow Dancing in a Burning Room uh, for the Ladies by John Mayer. Oh uh, yeah, that's yeah. a great one to talk. I mean, I. I am not a huge fan of John Mayer, but I do like what he does with his chords on a song like that. Yeah, me so too. So there's some yeah. great sixth chords, major sevenths, major nines, and, and that's all about how he creates his sound. I think it's, it's a great example of what he does. And well, we can't all go to Berkeley, John, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we got, we got the whole trifecta of insults in, but also managed to sneak in. Uh, John Mayer at the end for a bonus so I, I'm, I'm happy for that uh, but no great song really good guitar player too handsome to be that good um, yeah uh, is I, he I, oh yeah weird. if I was a I woman he's also very funny on social media the bastard uh, um, sweet. I, I think your face looks better than his face so there oh, you go John. So it's been too long since we've done a podcast together I know how charming you are <laughs> um, it's why cool. you love so, me it's why you keep me around Exactly. Friends, if you uh, send us a message on uh, sharpen.ax at gmail.com or uh, my name is Dylan Murphy on not the terrible rapper from Kentucky. I'm a different Dylan Murphy on Instagram. And John is, are you John Gillen? Uh, I'm actually, I don't, I don't do much on Instagram outside of, yeah, we, we do have a sharpen that axe Instagram. We do have a sharpen that axe. So, yeah. That, that thing. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so definitely and, check that out. And um, be sure also to yell at us on Twitter, because that seems to be mostly what Twitter is for. Says the old man in the room. Um, but yeah, we have all those things. Yes, we do. And uh, please, Oh, and there's uh, a face page too. So Yeah, there is. Please tell us what to talk about, because, you know, we just pulled this together like 30 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so, lies. It took me ages to put together that Yeah report. I hope you appreciate it. Yes. Um, all lies so uh yeah friends until next time stay sharp